You're listening to Dr. Leslie Inspires, a show where we empower mothers by raising their level of awareness, discussing tough mother-son issues that everyone knows exists, but no one is talking about. Dr. Leslie is joined by Mr. Wayne, who provides insight from a male perspective. To learn more about us, visit our website at www.drlesleyinspires.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Leslie. We would like to thank you for attending this evening. So happy to see each and every one of you. We are praying that you will hear something that will encourage, inspire, and motivate you to make change. And so tonight, our speaker is Mr. Wayne Pledger. It is my pleasure to have him speaking this evening. And yes, Ms. Rivers, that's pleasure. She told me in one of our email correspondence that I spelled pleasure wrong. I said, no, I got it right. Pleasure. <laughs> so without further ado, Mr. Wayne, could you go ahead and start us off in prayer? Absolutely. Let's bow our heads. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, just want to take a minute to, first of all, honor you for being the one and only true God that we can go to for anything, you know, in our victories and our trials also in our time of learning. So we want to take this time out this evening to learn, to grow together, and to share knowledge, wisdom, power, pain, uh, success, victory with each other as we learn more about how to grow our young men from, from boys to, to become a prince, God. So we thank you for Dr. Leslie and the principles that she bestows upon us. We ask that you help us to receive and um, apply to our day-to-day lives. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Mr. Wayne, um, I'm going to let you kind of give your background and tell the story, but I know you have a word for us on this evening, so we're looking forward to hearing what you have to talk about this evening. So, without further ado, the floor is yours. Well, thank you very much. Honored to be a guest here tonight with each of you. Uh, again, as Dr. Leslie mentioned, my name is Wayne Pledger, and of course, uh, husband of Dr. Leslie, but also spent a number of years, almost 20 years, mentoring young men, uh, ranging from ages five to the college level. Also, I actually raised uh, two of my nephews, one through high school, and up through college, I actually got him to got him in the fourth grade and raised him until he went to, to school. And then he actually ended up doing well, getting married, had several kids, and he's now doing very well. So I did all that while I myself went through uh, my college years. So it was quite interesting watching this young man grow into a, um, a good, responsible man of character. And then also mentoring other young men. So was have been a part of the 100 black men for years. And so would often uh, take time with them to play basketball and then sit down with them and mentor them and help them into either a trade or actually have them getting to school. So several of them had moved on to become policemen, firefighters, tradesmen, and also a few accountants, one attorney. So uh, very proud to be here to talk about the process in us dealing with our young men and what we need to do to get them to higher levels of, of manhood. I like to call it the process to being a prince. 
I can't hear you, Dr. Leslie. Oh, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Mm -hmm. Okay, the floor is yours. Great. So one of the things I want to, and I want this to be a dialogue between each of us, but I just want to talk a little bit about the things we struggle with as we try to raise these young men, right? Uh, one of the first things I want to identify with is the fact that there many times is a transition or transformation with our young men, much like uh, man himself. So we were born uh, in Christ, uh, we were born in our old Adam ways, but then God asked us to transform into manhood or womanhood. And so it takes a transformation to do that. It's a process that you have to go through. And so one of the things I wanted to focus on was that process on what we do and what we should be doing as we deal with our young men as they're growing up. Now, I remember when I was coming up, uh, how my mother and father would uh, discipline me and talk to me. And I'm sure many of you can relate to this. When you're raising a young man, many times we tend to say, hey, the way to be a man is to one, shut up. Yeah? Don't cry. If you're a boy, big boys don't cry. So if you uh, are upset about something, don't show your emotions, right? You, you always stay strong. And, uh, and also, I like this one, do as I say, not as I what? Do. <laughs> so a lot, many times we, we give one-way direction to our boys and our young men without really sharing with them and understanding, help them understand the process. And so we really took a deep dive into this back in mentor groups that I was involved with. Uh, one was I interacted with a group called Kids Across America years ago. And also I mentioned the 100 Black Men, but also we sat down and went through a book where we talked about principles on being a prince. So I'm going to go over five principles that I like to share when I teach my young man on how to be a prince. The first one is uh, self-control and balance. So it's very important that our young men understand self-control and understand to have balance in life. Many times they are pointed in one direction and not understanding where they want to go in life. So they tend to lean more towards the men that influence them the most. And if those men, whether they be in the street or relative, or they're giving them bad habits, whether it's drugs or alcohol, that, that's not the proper way to go, of course. We want to encourage them to go in the proper manner and have that firm self-control over their lives and make good decisions, not hood decisions, is what we used to call it. The second thing is uh, social intelligence. So we always try to teach our young men about having good balance and being socially active, not socially awkward. And sometimes our young men can be shy. They're not raised around a lot of people or family members that are doing a lot of things. Uh, oftentimes they are raised around those folks and they have no problem interacting with others. They can be the center of attention in the room or sometimes they can get lost and be off in a corner somewhere and you don't understand what's going on with them until they get older and then it comes out in later behaviors. So self-control and social intelligence are two of the things. The next thing I wanted to talk about is optimism and being able to lead. We really want to focus our young men on just being being positive about life, right? Because there's so much out here that attacks our young men, whether it's crime or just the statistics alone in our young men being incarcerated. We want to give them what I call a line of sight so they can know how to write down those goals a goal that they're actually afraid of, and then they push to achieve them. 
so many of our young men that I found, when you talk to them about goals, they can't fathom something simple as buying a home or uh, working outside of where they grew up. Sometimes they don't have an opportunity to travel other than locally where they grew up. So they don't get the exposure that they need to get. So we always want to focus that when we work with our young men on, hey, be, you want, we want you to be optimal. We want you to be goal oriented. We want you to go after anything there is to go after because you can do it. The next thing is uh, to be appreciative and show contentment in uh, the things that you do have. So that's really about having a positive outlook in life and having a good uh, understanding that once you do obtain the basic needs in life, a roof over your head, food and clothing, don't get too carried away. Helping them understand that being content and being appreciative is a very valuable thing. And so our young men sometimes struggle with that. They want, they want to get it easy and they want an abundance because that's how they form their self-esteem. They want all the latest hats, the latest clothes, the latest cars, the latest gym shoes, because that's what impresses the young ladies. That's what they have defined in their heads as being a man. But that is not what we want to instill. We want to help them understand, to appreciate the small things in life, many things that in life, the most valuable things in life are free. So we want to try to instill that in them as well. And the last thing we talk about is leadership and protection. You know, understanding how to protect your family, understanding that when you go out and you're representing your family, if somebody picks on your little brother, your little sister, your big brother, sister, you need to be there and stand strong and protect them because that lays a foundation for them to be able to protect their families later on when they come to have a wife and children and do it the proper way. And this doesn't always mean protect with your hand. That's the easy part to go upside someone's head when you get into a situation of anger. The thing we really try to push is for our young men to learn how to think with their mind. We call it being a thinking man, right? Because your mind is the best weapon to have. So we really uh, want to instill in our young men to make them princes, those five principles to help them uh, know how to matriculate and again, transform through life um, as, as a man, a true man of God, ideally. So with that, we get into the whole transformation process. So starting off, of course, as a youth, you have a toddler or infant and toddler. Those are very important years because they're growing and they tend to be more nurturing years as they tend to be more close to the mother uh, as far as the rearing is concerned and the growth. But then you transition from toddler to youth. And so I would say in that toddler years, it's, I would say 80, 90% mom, 10% dad. If there's a dad in the family, if there's no dad, we'll get to that in a minute, but that's, that's even greater impact. Then you move on from toddler to what I would call the youth phase. And so that gets you from four to say eight years old, nine years old. And so now it gets to be more 60 mom, 40 dad, or closer to 50, 50, as far as the rearing is concerned, as far as helping the young man understand the ABCs of being a, a young boy, a, a youth, excuse me, a young man, excuse me, a youth, a toddler, and now going into the young man role. That young man still doesn't understand what it takes because he is basically a youth leading to adolescence, okay? So there's a balance there because he still needs that nurturing from mom, 
but he is now needing more and more that discipline and those principles of becoming a prince from the father or the male figure in the life. Let's go over those male figures. As we all know, it doesn't have necessarily be the father. It can be an uncle, a dad, a stepdad, a preacher, whatever that male significant figure is in their life that that has been identified. It's important to know who that is and understand uh, the transformation process that the young man goes through. So now he's a youth and he's gone on to, uh, he's, he's gone through his toddler years. Now he's a youth and now he's transitioning into adolescence. Very tricky age for any young adult, but especially a young man, hormones are flying around. They're getting to know themselves. Their body is changing. The, the intention that they're getting is starting to change as they go from seventh, eighth grade to now the high school years. Two things happen. One, uh, their body change. They start getting interested in girls, but also they have to figure out about themselves more and more because they now have to identify with what kind of man they are going to be. Are they going to be like their homeboys? Are they going to be like their teacher? Their art teacher, are they going to be like the physical ed teacher? Are they going to be like their father, their uncle? They are constantly on the lookout, almost like radar, for how, what kind of young man am I going to be? And you can see it in their disposition. You can see it in their talk. You can hear it in their talk. You can see it in their walk, how they carry themselves. One year you see little Johnny, and he's as innocent as it can be for Thanksgiving. The next two or three years, he comes back for Christmas break and you see little Johnny and now he's gotten a few inches taller, a little peach fuzz on his lip and he's got a little swag in his walk, right? So he's trying to identify what type of young man he wants to be based on his inner circle of influence, his friends, his male inner circle, right? And don't forget about mom because mom is always going to be that key component in his life. However, he is now in a situation as an adolescent where he knows he's going to have to face other parts of, of growing up as a young man and make good decisions. And at this point, he now is going to transition into a young man. So now he's transitioned from an adolescent to a young man. Uh, he's a teenager now. He may be learning to drive. And also now he is definitely having to make some pretty firm life decisions, how he's going to make a living. He's going to get a little bit tired of listening to mom and dad, per se, and he's going to start thinking about what kind of car am I going to drive? Where am I going to live? How am I going to take care of myself? And so that transition is even more critical. And now where, where he was a toddler or a youth and the amount of time and influence that was spent mom versus dad was 90-10, now that has changed and now you start transitioning over into 80% male influence, 20% mom. Doesn't mean mom doesn't love him. Doesn't mean mom is not an important part of his life. But what it does mean is at that age, he is trying to identify with his maleness and he is patterning himself over his circle of influence, whoever that may be. So that's a critical point in a young man's life. Because what happens then is every decision become, that he makes becomes more and more critical to the outcome of his future. Is he going to go to school? Is he going to get a job? 
does he have kids at a young age or not? Um, and I've seen positive outcomes if they did or if they didn't. So no judgment there whatsoever. But the decisions that he makes is very, very important at that stage. So now he is a young man in his teenage years, and now he is transitioning into uh, being a grown man. Now he's transitioning into his early to mid-20s. There's some stats that say uh, young men and ladies are not fully developed until they're 25 years old. I would say, of course, that men, and you guys have heard this before, the young men mature later than young ladies. So I would say for young men, it's closer to 28 and they're 29 before they mature and fully develop in the mind and the body. Um, I, I've, I've just seen too many experiences where this has happened. A lot of sharp young men out there, don't get me wrong, but right around that time frame, 26 to 29, is when they start to fully mature and understand what's going on. And then from that, you now have the man or the young man that's matriculating through life, making his, his own decisions, right or wrong, right or wrong. And so the important part about this is if you don't catch him in those earlier years and solve those problems, that he's having as he transitions as uh, from a toddler to a youth and an adolescent and a young man and now a man, each one of those problems compound. For example, if he got a scar as a toddler, whatever that scar may be, right? He got it, you know, that could move over into his youth years. Now as a toddler, you're pretty young, so he's not gonna remember as much. But as a youth, uh, if he gets into something, he's going to carry that into his adolescent years. For example, as a youth, I was maybe seven years old, six, seven years old, and my best friend and I got into a fight. And uh, for whatever reason, I got angry enough. We were in his backyard, and uh, his dad uh, did carpentry. as He's a part-time master carpenter, so he did carpentry. So I got so angry, I picked up the first thing I could find, which happened to be a hammer. And I hit my friend in his eye with a hammer and he almost lost his eye. Now, that was a decision that I made as a young person. I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, but I just knew I was angry enough. It got me so angry that I grabbed that hammer and hit him and I almost blinded my best friend's eye, my best friend and him losing his eyesight. So that stuck with me from my youth to my adolescent years and to a young man to help me to understand, hey, you need to manage that. Whatever got you that angry, slow it down, right? And so I, I carry that with me. And these young men go through different things as well, whether it's things they deal with on the street, whether it's the presence of their father. Uh, they may have a father biologically, but he is not doing a good job and hurting that young man emotionally. They may have a father biologically, and he's doing a phenomenal job. They may have a father that is not his biological father, but is doing a phenomenal job. And, and every mix and turn around it, or no fathers, uncles, aunts, uh, excuse me, uncles, pastors, you name it. But that, that young man has to deal with, in each step of his matriculation through toddler youth, adolescence, young man, and then becoming a man, or it will compound. So fast forward over, to that young man now being a man, if he hasn't dealt with some of those issues, he will have to deal with it as an adult. Now, I stress that process because for the mothers and for the ladies out there, when you are dealing with 
your young man as he hits those adolescent and young man years. Understand that you cannot solve his issues or force upon him to do the things you feel he needs to do the same way you taught him when he was a toddler or an infant. It doesn't work. But he's transforming. He's transforming. He's matriculating. You're using old tactics when he was younger, and now he's older. Also, he's learned. He's learned you. He studied you. He knows how to manipulate. Doesn't do it intentionally. It's just something you learn growing as a kid. And so that young man knows, okay, mom, I need a new pair of shoes. No. Okay, I got to come at mom a different way. You know what? Because I know I'm going to get them shoes. So I know when she gets paid. I know when she's in a good mood. So I'm going to come at her again when she's smiling and ask her for them shoes and make her laugh. Maybe I do a special dance for her. Maybe I make her smile, put on her favorite song, whatever that may be. But when I catch her smiling, I'm going to ask for them shoes again. And guess what? I walk out there with a new pair of nice. Happens every time. Listen, they know you like the back of their hand once they get to that stage, right? As mothers, it, Miss Dolores, she, she was shaking her head. I see you, Miss Brown. You're on mute. I can't hear you. <laughs> You're on mute. I can't hear you. Can you hear I'm me sorry. now? I can. Yes. Go ahead, ma'am. I was on another link since uh, quarter to six. Oh, okay. okay. It was a Google something that I got on, and I'm waiting and waiting. And wow, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yes. Yeah. Glad no you Yeah, I'm here now. Okay. Welcome. Welcome. Thank okay. you. Thank you. No problem. Wow. So he's got those new pair of shoes, everybody, right? And so the lesson I'm trying to share is it's your job as mothers to be wise and understand that he's in a different phase of his life and talk less and learn and observe more. And, and not just, just not just talk less, but really learn and study that young man because he's a different, he's a different person than that little boy you had that came out of your womb. It's totally different. So you have to study him because his ways are different. And he'll show you based on his actions exactly who he is. And that's very important to understand. And it's very important to understand that the older that young uh, man gets in his teenage years and his early 20s, mid 20s, the more you have to one, say no to things he asks. And two, the more you have to allow him to learn through pain. Very similar to exercising and working out. Where you get stronger, is to exercise and, and allow that pain to come. And then you'll have success and grow and get stronger as a human being. Same with this situation. And so that leads me into the conversation of the chrysalis, right? This is a key process in every young man that they need to go through. And the earlier they go through it, the better off they will be. That's why sometimes you'll meet some young man in their 30s and 40s and 50s that are still hanging close to mom or still haven't quite grown up the way they should and what have you. But then every now and then you'll meet a young man who is uh, in his teens and is just on the ball, a very high emotional quota, a very high uh, 
level of intellect, almost wise beyond his years. And a lot of that just has to do with the fact that he's gone through that chrysalis at an early age. And he's had consistency in his life when it comes to uh, him having the nurturing he needs during his transformation process throughout those different phases, toddler, youth, adolescence, young man, and then man. And it's exciting to see. It's exciting to see. I really enjoy working with, with young men because it's exciting to watch them where they are and where they're heading. Um, Sister Oliver, I know you've worked with kids in the kitchen sometimes, and sometimes you meet in my bed in the kitchen in the first part of the semester, and then by the end of the year, they're totally different people. And some are the same. Everybody's just different. So it's, it's interesting to watch kids grow or they'll go through something in their life where there'd be a bad grade or uh, a fight or something like that that just causes them to have an epiphany and have that, uh, that come to Jesus moment in their life where they make a decision to go a different route. Yesterday, Dr. Leslie talked about her son, Jeffrey, and how Jeffrey actually ended up getting his dual enrollment he was in dual enrollment program and he ended up getting his associate's degree and he's still a junior, but she also is junior in high school, but she also talked about the hard lesson that he had to learn about basically taking an F in a class and having to take that class over again. One of the things I wanted to add about that, because I remember helping Jeffrey in his assignments and talking to him. And to make a long story short, one thing I will add is, I always try to encourage him, and I'm not putting him out there as I, I talk about a lot of young men. I always try to encourage him to not make excuses. Not make excuses. We'll go play a game of pool or we'll go, uh, we, I took him play golf not too long ago and it's a bad shot and he, he makes an excuse. No, oh, man, don't do that. Don't make excuses. Bad shot's bad shot. Don't worry about it. Let's just go at it and hit a good one. Come on, I got you. So. One of the things he learned, I was really proud of him with his class, is he learned that there's no way around it. He can't make excuses. He's got to take this class over. And he did. And when he took that class over a second time, I didn't hear any excuses out of him. I just didn't. And not only did he pass successfully, but the thing that really encouraged me about Jeffrey was they actually gave him an award at the college for being, uh, I forget what it's called. Dr. Lister, are you still on? Give us some time. I am. Do yes. you remember the name of the award? I don't want to miss it. It's in the front room here. I don't want to leave the camera though. Yeah, they. it was for an outstanding student um, at the campus. So the, the, um, the graduation, consisted of all the different schools that were part of Georgia Military College, but they were satellite um, satellite units. So he was he won the award for outstanding student at the Stone Mountain campus. So Distinguished that's what award. What's the that mission? Distinguished award. Distinguished, Distinguished. Award, right. They don't give it out to multiple people, just That's one. Right. That's one right. Person. Just one. And he got it. And he got it. And the reason why he got that award was because he went through the chrysalis. He went through this process 
And so now he is set up for nothing but success. He, I'm not saying he's got, not going to make a mistake later on, but he now he has a frame of reference to go back to without someone yelling and screaming at him, without someone down talking him or anything. It could just be as simple as, hey, remember that award you got? And he's got that in his memory. Mm-hmm. And he knows what it takes to move forward. No shortcuts, head down, no excuses, get it done. Every young man has to go through that chrysalis process. The earlier they get it, the better off they'll be. Now, the, now the thing about the chrysalis process is you can't cheat the process. There are no shortcuts. And if you do cheat the process, it's kind of like living the Christian life. God sends you back through lesson 101 all over again. And you thought you had something figured out. And you're like, why am I going through this again? You're going through it again because you didn't learn it the first time. And that's how it is with the chrysalis. You can't cheat it. You've got to go through it. And so as parents, as mothers, I would encourage you to understand where your young man is, regardless of his age. If he's 20, 30, if he's 40, it doesn't matter. But understand where your young man, your son is, or your man is, and respect that and listen to him and work to get to know him and respond to him, not based on the boy that came out of your womb or the little boy you raised, but based out of him being that young man and that male he is today. Because that doesn't mean you stop being a mother to him, but it just means your response to him, because you're going to have a natural response to be that mother nurturing I got you no matter what. It's going to be one of balance. It's going to be one of I love you, but you're going to have to go through this walk, darling, yourself. Okay? Because you can't cheat the process. Let me pause for a minute. Any questions so far at all? Oh, Miss Danita. Yes, please. Okay, I'm sorry. I had to find the screen so I could mute myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just wanted a little more clarification. I missed it right at the very beginning. You said the toddler stage is zero to four. The use uh-huh. about four to eight. Five to nine. Five to nine. And then mm-hmm. adolescence is nine to... I like to call that 10 to 17. Oh, really, it's 10 to 16, adolescence. And then young, 10 to 15, I'm sorry. And then young man is 16 to 21. And then you're considered a legally grown man after 21. But in essence, I would offer that they're not fully developed until they're 28. Okay. I did catch that part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no. You're doing a good job. <laughs> Thank you. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dr. Leslie, please. Yeah. So, what does it look like when you... Um, when the chrysalis process is thwarted. Let's say a mother continues to hinder that process. What does that look like for her? And what does that look like for the male, her son? Great question. You always know if you're not succeeding as the mother because your stress level will continue to go up. And as the male, he will not have forward progress. 
And so it's important to keep saying no to the things you, by natural reflex and response, would say yes to. Example, if you have a 25-year-old young man living in your home, and he says, Miss Oliver, I need $10. Okay, go get a job. The answer is no. I know you got it. Well, wait a minute. This isn't about if I have it or not. <laughs> this is about me saying no to you so you understand the process that you need to go through. And so, Dr. Leslie, that's the importance. And that's what I mean by understanding where they are, studying them, and responding accordingly. Right? Mm -hmm. I'll use myself as an example. My mother really wanted me to stay. I grew up in Chicago. She wanted me to stay in Chicago to go to school. I said, Ma, if I stay here, I'll die. Because I'm not going to be successful in Chicago trying to go get some kind of a college degree. It's not going to happen. Too many negative influences around guys I grew up with, what have you. That's just not a not a, a wise thing to do. So it's important for now. She still wanted me to stay because I will tell you this. There was a moment in college where I did go home for a year. And guess what she kept saying to me when I wanted money and when I wanted other things? No. 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 Okay. You can't borrow the car. You can't have any extra money. You were playing basketball and doing well. Now you're home. The answer is no. So that'll wake you up. That'll wake, it forces you to make a decision. And if you have the proper men in your life, and this is where that other piece comes into play, because I'm still, I was still learning and forming the type of man I wanted to be, right? These young men are going through the same thing. I want to be like, you know, Marquez, or I want to be like whomever. Why? Because he's cool and he's got a nice car. He's got money over here. He's intelligent. He's in church and that guy has a good job in corporate America. I want to do that. You know what? I want to own my own business. I'm an entrepreneur. I want to be a real estate person. Whoever that is, and, and not just the things in life, but spiritually, I want to be a strong man of God, right? I want to pattern myself like my uncle did or my stepdad did or my father did or what have you, whatever, whoever that is. They are constantly trying to figure out who that person is. And I've worked with several kids with Dr. Leslie, and I see it every single time. I've gone to home visits with her, and I already know, okay, this is how this person is going to be. And eventually when you ask them, who's the – Dr. Leslie will focus on, like, their customized learning plans and how they're doing with their homework. And I will ask them things like, okay, who's the man in your life? Well, I don't have, no, you got somebody, who is it? I keep asking. Next thing you know, oh, you know, my uncle owns a tow truck. You know who I'm talking about, right, Dr. Murray? Or my father does this, or he played basketball, or, you know, my, my other uncle bought me these new gym shoes. Oh, nice, wow, how do you see your other uncle? You know, so we get into those conversations to make those connections so they understand what to focus on as they're matriculating through these different stage gates. Very important because otherwise they're lost. They are lost. Yeah. And I've seen that happen as well, where these kids have matriculated along. And then actually it happened during COVID. COVID hit and a couple of young men I really had my eye on. I've seen them just take a fall because they haven't had that male interaction. Dr. Mm -hmm. Lissett, do you have a question? Yes, I do. So what about, from your perspective, young men who have just fallen off you i hear you saying often the man in their life the man in their life 
But in many of the with many of the women that we work with, there is no man in their life. And sometimes there may be a man, but he's just not a good role model for him. So in the case where you have this young man, all he has is his mom or he has a very strong spirit of rebellion to where he is not paying attention to anybody. He feels like he knows it all. He's doing his own thing. Uh, and in many cases I hear mothers talking about, he just wants to play video games all day. Some of them are drawn to gangs or the wrong type of crowd, but they are a lot of mothers that we work with are having trouble motivating that young man or just moving him to do something, anything, but get out of the house, get out of her hair, get out of her pocket, whatever it is. What do you say to those mothers? Keep fighting the good fight. I'm so glad you asked that question. So let's remove the male contact off the table right now. Okay. Let's face it, there are a lot of mothers out here that are dealing with raising young men, and unfortunately there are not other men in their life that, they, that are helping them raise those young men. But you know what? That's still okay. It goes back to the principle that I mentioned earlier about learning them and just understanding the stage of the life that they're in and knowing when to say no to help them grow. No helps you grow. No helps you grow. When you get to that young man stage, and you have to say that because they remember they've studied you now, right? And they are now acting out of their subconscious, just like you are acting out of your subconscious. But you have to learn them and change what you're telling yourself about that young man. The mother that says, That's my baby, well, you're wrong. That's not your baby anymore. That's a young man. And you have to understand that and change your perspective because once the mothers get consistent with their yes meaning yes and then no meaning daggone no, things will change. And you don't have to always beat it out of them. Just say no. You gave examples of uh, video games. Take the video games away. If you're going to keep playing video games, you got to do it someplace else, but you can't do it here. You don't have to yell, scream, and shout. Just execute. It makes Mothers a world. Are, they're having a very, very hard time doing that, Mr. Wayne. What do you suggest? I know one lady, uh, her son broke the door down when she went to work. What do you say to that? What What does she do? They make penitentiary for a young man like that. They need to understand and help them share that if you keep up with this, you're going to end up in jail. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Because well, out of my house, out of my house, maybe. Well, we're getting there, but that behavior is going to transcend into the public life. Remember what I said, as they're moving forward through those stage gates, of course, they're going to enter and act like that when they're on the street and when they're out in the marketplace. Right. If you don't change that now, help them understand they have places for you and it's called prison. So you have a choice to make in life. If you want to be big and bad with me and lash out with me and break the door down because of video games. Fine, but you can't do it here, right? Because what's happened is the reason why that young man is doing that is because he's realized that he can intimidate his mother. And you can't be what I call a punk parent. You can't be a punk parent out here. You have to be firm with these kids, but at the same time, it's important to understand that consistency is very important. 
saying no consistently and educating and learning them and guiding them into more positive things is also important. Also, keeping the kids active is key. If we as parents give our kids too much alone time and I go to work, the kids are at home all day long by themselves and all we're worried about is making sure that they stay safe. I can't afford a babysitter. So the older kid watches the younger kid kind of thing. That's kind of leaving an idle mind to roam and get into trouble. And so it's important to get them involved with programs. And I know some programs can be expensive, but a lot of them are free. It just depends. But it's important to keep them busy and be proactive to keep them going, to keep them focused, to give them exposure. All of those things are very, very important because, again, that young man, he's searching. He's searching. He's searching. He's learned you. He's learned how to get the shoes from you. He's learned how to push your buttons and get you upset. What else can he learn? What else can he conquer? What else can he move forward to? What stimulates him? That's when gangs come in. Gangs provide leadership to those kids. They give them laws and prayers and brotherhood. They put their arm around them. And that's when kids can get led astray. So it's important for them. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. I'm sorry. I have a question. Mm -hmm. I've seen kids, um, when they're young, parents give uh, what allow their ch children to do video games when they're young, just to keep them occupied, like you said, keep them occupied or whatever. But yes. then as they get older, they're still doing the same thing, and it becomes a habit. Yes. You know, and that's where all that stems from. But it starts yes. when they're younger, maybe four, five, or six. You know, just just playing around, just playing a game. But like you said, it just and and I think sometimes parents don't realize that you know, because as they get older, keep doing the same. Miss Oliver, you know, that's right. Miss Oliver, you 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 hit it right on the head, right on the head. And 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 not just video games, but the cell phone. Exactly. Some parents, like you said, say it's okay for my kid to be in a room and have their cell phone, and they're not thinking about that. They're thinking, like you said, Miss Oliver, just as long as they're quiet and they're safe, I'm fine. Not realizing that kid is in their own world on those cell phones, and you allow that to happen. These kids, seven, eight, nine years old with an iPhone or a cell phone, that's way too young. Take those phones away from those kids, let them do their homework, put time frames on those phones. You can have your phone for one hour a day, that's it, maybe two. And this phone's exactly. for emergency purposes only. This phone isn't for you to be up to midnight, one, two in the morning, letting your mind get exposed to things you have no business getting exposed to. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point, Ms. Oliver, that's when it goes astray. So, Dr. Leslie, when you said, what about moms who are dealing with the doors and breaking down the doors and video games? It starts, as Ms. Oliver so put, way early on. And so now they have yeah. to be more consistent in their nose to change that mindset now that they're in their adult, excuse me, in their young man stage. Yeah. So now that they have passed that stage, the damage is done. A lot of the mothers that I work with or that I talk to on a daily basis are struggling with damage control. The damage is done. You know, yeah. so now we're beyond the cell phones. You know, you're not getting my cell phone. They're beyond the games. Don't touch my games. Uh, I'm about to put you out. You ain't putting me out. So 
when you have that level of rebellion in a son, and I mean, we know that the damage is done. How do you see a, a mother who has just, she, he, he won't do anything. That's one of the biggest things that I hear about uh, daily. And I really just want to hear from a male perspective. This is being recorded. So other mothers will be able to hear and, and uh, hear some of the strategies that you talk about, but lazy, don't want to do anything, can't do anything, and you can't make me do anything. What do you suggest they do? Well, first, I would suggest that the mother step back and understand that they didn't get here overnight. So the problem is not going to be resolved overnight. Yes. It's going to take time of self-reflection. It's going to take time where the mother has to go back and understand what is it, how was it before? What is it that took place that got them to where they are now? And then to develop a strategy on how to move forward. For example, if once they reflect back, if the mother realizes maybe I did do too much for my young man because now he's out of control, then she has to take that responsibility and then make a change and say, okay, I'm not gonna do what I used to do. I am going to make sure my no means no. And I understand that it may take, it may be painful for me to say that to him, but it's needed. And then at that point, you can come up with a strategy to say, okay, now when this young man is becoming quote unquote threatening or hostile, now you can partner with someone in a local community or a relative. I would start with a family member first, if possible, to say, hey, I need your help with this. This is where I went wrong. This is how I need him to move forward. Now let's together come up with a strategy on getting him to the right place. But what tends to happen, Dr. Leslie, is, I, and I've, I've seen this so many times where they'll say, well, Mr. Wayne, I can't do anything with this young man. Here, I want you to talk to him, put some sense into him. Ma'am, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Let, let's be clear. The first person I have to talk to is you so that we can understand the reflection and how we got to where we are, right? Because I can't do this by myself. It's going to take both of us. I will work with you and another group of men will come next to me and we will work with you and your son. But you need to understand, you can't just say, talk to him and wipe your hands and walk away. Hmm. So it starts with the mother. It starts with the parent and understanding. And once they have those strategies and understand where they are, then we need to identify where the young man is in his age and his matriculation as he transitions to Prince. Where is he in that stage gate? Is he 30 years old, but he's still an adolescent, right? Is he a, a young man, but he's beyond his years? I mean, we can span that spectrum all the way around. Then we have to deal with the scars. Remember I talked to you about those scars, right? I had a scar early on. He's got, that young man's probably gonna have compounding scars that need to be addressed. Once the mother has dealt with her situation, we come up with a strategy. Now we have to sit down with the young man. I've done this often. We would sit down at a local college, myself, another gentleman, and then we sit down with the mother and the young man. And we would talk. We wouldn't allow any lip, no back talk. That didn't happen. But we let the mother talk, we let the son talk, we 
come up with a plan, they leave, and then we come back and work with that young man again. Now, we didn't just sit down with that young man. We bonded when we did what played electronics, and then we talked. We played basketball, and then we talked. We read and we talked. We developed the software and then we talked. But it was always that bonding. Young men need three things. They need time. They need talk. They need, when I say touch, I don't mean feminine touch. I mean like a hug, you know, gap. How you doing? Give me a hug, bear hug. They need to know that there's a man in their life that's not going to abuse them and hurt them that's there constructively. You give that to a young man consistently, they will change. They will change. But it starts with the parent. So, Mr. Wayne, because um, we're down to the last few minutes of this, I wanted to make sure we open it up for some questions. But before we um, take questions, I wanted to I wanted to ask you if you could address anger issues. What have you found is usually the case, or usually the situation? in the case where a young man is dealing with some serious anger. Sometimes the anger is covert and sometimes it's overt. Sometimes you can see it in what they say or do. And sometimes it's in very subtle actions. It's in, you asked me to do it. Okay, I'll do it. Yes, ma'am. But then it's, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. They don't say it. I've dealt with a lot of those um, in school. They may, they look happy but you can see the anger in a very covert way. How do yeah. you say to that? Well, one, that's a really good question. And the things that we've experienced during our mentoring years is anger typically comes in two forms. I'm going to generalize it in two forms. It's either active or it's passive. Actor, active anger, they tend to wear their feelings on their sleeves, per se. You say something to them you know what, I'm pride, I'm a man, you're not going to say that to me, and you're going to know exactly where they are, right? Passive anger is a little bit different, very similar to passive aggressiveness. That's a little bit more challenging because you're now dealing with compressed issues. You do one thing to hurt them and you don't realize it, they get angry, they don't say anything, they compress it. And then you do something else and they compress it and they compress it, and they compress it, and they compress it some more. Pretty soon, they get so tight, you could say one little thing to them like, hey, young man, your shoes, your shoes aren't tied. You might want to, don't tell me what to do. And they just, boom, it just explode like a bomb. And you wonder where that came from. And you say, oh my gosh, as a mother, I just told him to tie his shoes. No, mom, you're dealing with a young man with compressed anger. He's mad about somebody that abused him or, he didn't get a chance to go to a school event because he didn't have enough money or he's getting teased about his clothes or any number of things, but it's passive aggressive and it's compressed. And that's the anger you got to watch out for. Right. And so it's important to identify with both, but that second one can be really tricky. And so it's important also to keep, keep in close communication with your son to always know where he is. The ones that lash out and breaking down doors, those are easy. Let me have them. That's no, I mean, I understand. Don't get me wrong. Those are tough, too. But the ones where you have passive aggressiveness going on, that can lead to some deep, long-term, deep-rooted issues that are just as worse, that could really get to their mental stability, if not addressed appropriately. Amen. Well said. So at this time, I'm going to open it up for questions. Are there any more questions? 
I see a hand by Miss Danita there, Dr. Lesnar. Danita? Um, you said that the, the first thing was to de determine where he is in life, like which stage he's in. Yeah. And then you said mm -hmm. something about the scars. And I, I, I was too busy writing notes. Um, yes. What did you say about the scars once you determine which stage they're in? Thank you. I identify what scars they have based on the stages that they've been through up until the stage that they're in. Because, and that, what that takes, Ms. Danita, is communication. And with men, you got to ask them several things. You got to ask them the same thing 10 to 15 times. And you may have to do it a different way because we're ego driven. You okay? I'm fine. I'm good. No, you're not. Something's wrong, right? So you got to ask them a different way, right? Give them something to eat. Okay. Yeah, I just noticed you were frowning a little bit ago. Well, talk to me. That's a different way of asking, are you okay, right? Or you take them to the store. You need anything? Yes, no, okay, all right. Hey, I know. Were you frowning because of this? So you keep coming at him, and eventually you pr provide that environment for him to talk, and he'll talk. It's like Samson, right? Samson Delilah. Samson laid his trust in Delilah because she provided that avenue for him to talk. So you have to do that to get to know where they are. And once they open up, that's part of the studying that I mentioned. Now you know where they are and you know how to tactically uh, address that, right? And, and please, whatever we do as parents, don't say, and men have this bad. We always want to give you all some answers. Y'all don't look for answers. Y'all just want to listen. When, when, when you understand where he is, don't try to give the answer right away. Just take it down, write it down, develop a strategy, and then you address it moving forward, and you will see a difference and you will see a change. And you will also see signs that he's circling back because we tend to circle back on our sin. You know, there's all, only three ways they can get us, lustful eyes, lustful flesh, pride of life. But if he circles back into some bad habit, whether it's drinking or marijuana or girls, or whatever that is, you know your son, whatever that is, that's a sign that he's not quite dealing with it. So you just re-engage and stay on him and be consistent. And then he will have that, that epiphany moment, that, that chrysalis moment where he goes, you know what? I'm tired of this. This isn't working. And he'll change and do the right thing, especially when he's had that consistency and that good parenting from you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It gets better. Have faith. Mm. Any more questions? Hi, Vicky. How are you? Okay, this is Del Rose. Can you hear me? Hey, yes, we hear you. Hi, Del Rose. Okay. Uh, as I listen, um, I realize that most of this cannot be applied to my son because, again, he's married and got a son of his own. And just last night we were talking and they're putting together a, a podcast for a relationship between a father and a son a wonderful relationship with my grandson. Everything that I'm listening to, um, Mr. Wayne, my son talks to me about those things that he's doing with my grandson. However, I'm, I, I'm thinking of the families that I work with in a step family environment. Yes. Mm -hmm. With the boys that are again, at the different stages. And these are the problems that 
uh, the mothers are dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I thought, is it possible that if a mother is not able to, to get a male to come alongside her and work with her, are there things that she can do that can achieve some of the same things that a male would be able to do with the son? Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of those things are going to require her to wear different hats. And so what ends up happening is it may require her to have more self-love because she's going to have to have the mother hat and the father hat whether it's as a disciplinarian and being consistent and not being as soft that most mothers would do. And I've met several mothers, there are probably some on this call, that have done that successfully and need to be very proud of that. But what happens when that occurs is that mother ends up having more scars if they don't give themselves additional self-love and self-care because they've had to overcompensate for the absence mm-hmm. of the male. Very important. Yes. Very important. I, and those scars I, can run deep if they don't deal with that. Or even yes. the absence of herself, I wanted to add, because sometimes we were there, just like you talked earlier about the absent father. He may have been there, but emotionally he was absent. She may have been there, but emotionally she was absent. And so as she grows and starts to wonder, what happened? I was here. I I raised him. I did this. I did that. Not understanding that there was some damage that was done during those formative years or whenever it took place, there was some damage that hurt this young man that he may not even be able to articulate just yet, you know, and as he gets older, you know, and he deals with his anger, then it might be, well, you weren't there or dad wasn't there or what happened that made dad not want me. We deal with that a lot. And those are our guilt feelings. But sometimes the young man, he acts out not understanding that he's angry because he's mad at you, mom. He's angry because he's mad at his dad. He's mad at one of them and he's trying to figure it out. Yes. And you know what? Those are, those are two great things. And I may add, Mrs. Brown, what you mentioned about that mother. Yes. That's a remarkable woman there. She needs double honor yes. because she is well-deserving. She has survived. She has overcome. And she is definitely worthy of double honor. I've met them. I know them firsthand. And they're remarkable women that can do that. They're able to still, to still stand after all of that. Flipping over to what Dr. Leslie said, I've also met some young men that have dealt with uh, fathers that were in the home, like like she mentioned, but were absent. So in essence, the sons were raised by their mothers and their fathers had very little uh, to do with their lives. And so you, I'll, I'll share, I ran through that a little bit because I was the youngest of five, but my parents were older when they had me, they were close to 40. So with that right now, my father's 95, he'll be 96 here soon. Actually, he just made 95, I take that back. My mother's 88. So they, I'm last one out, they just went, you know what I mean? But here, here's the thing. I love my parents to death. I think my mother's the bomb. I think my father has extreme wisdom, extreme wisdom. 
but it took me a while to understand and respect they did the best they could based on what they had to work with. My dad's from Alabama, my mother's from Louisiana. So it, it doesn't matter if, and my father was in the house, okay? I came home every day, he was there, right? But that I was more scared of my mother than my father for a while. <laughs> so it, it, it just, it's interesting how that dynamic went. Then later on it flipped, right? But it just, it helps, it helps me understand that I had to go through a process where I had to forgive, one, understand myself, and two, forgive, and three, love them from where they are. And once I did that, I got tremendously blessed. I have great parents. Beautiful. Great parents. So, Dr. Leslie, thank you for, for bringing that up. That was a very good point. And thank you for that question, Ms. Brown. You, you're welcome. Thank you. Um. Ms. Vicki, I see your uh, comments. I know we've had a breakthrough call. We've had some conversation about your son. Can you just uh, say something for a minute just to get another male perspective? You're asking Ms. Asking Ms. Vicki to say something? Yeah, she made a few comments. Um, uh, maybe she doesn't want to talk, maybe. Well, let me read the comments. And okay. Go ahead, okay. Okay. All right. I see. Um, am I unmuted? Yes, you are. Sorry. About okay. That. All right. Thanks. Okay. So anyway, I asked if there were five steps that you could give to move toward change, you know, with someone like in my case, you know, my son is here with me and he is not getting up out of bed and I, he is not saying, okay, what can I do around here? He does not have a job and I am just sick of it, you know, and I feel like if I put him out on the street, uh, you know, he's probably going to go and, you know, doesn't have any money. I don't know where he's going to go, but he has, he has to get up and I have rules here and he's violating my rules here. And um, I, I don't, you know, feel like I want to continue this with him. Let me ask you, Vicky, what, how old is your son? 22. Okay. And is he, you said he's not working. He's not interested in school at all. No. Okay. One thing I heard you say was, I don't know where he's going to go. So I, it, all, it was almost like you didn't want to tell him to leave or didn't want him to leave because you were afraid of his safety and well-being. Is that right? Yes. Okay. I think Dr. Leslie would be good to get Vicky in a one-on-one -on -one and discuss this in a little bit more detail. We actually have. We actually okay. have. I just wanted to kind of get it from a, a male perspective why she has you here. So how I can tell you high level from a male perspective, Mrs. Vicky, I would like to know other things in his life, like who's the male figure in his life, if any. If not, that's fine. Also, but right I would like now to he know. does not have one. Uh, mm -hmm. He, uh, when we came back here, I had re uh, reached out to a friend, and he had uh, we we had we were away in Atlanta, for, I mean Austin, for fifteen years, and we've been back here about a year. And so I reached out to a friend who I knew had a facility before I left, and who did counseling and stuff like that, mental health and counseling. Well, he doesn't do that anymore. But when I called him, he actually came over to the house. And when he came over to the house, uh, Victor, uh, he opened up, told Victor how he knew me, and he talked his head off for hours. 
He talked to him. I was so surprised he opened up and talked to him for hours. And then he hugged him when he got ready to leave. So he would call to try to check on Victor and call Victor's phone, but he wouldn't answer the phone. And one day he came, he said he thought he'd come and take Victor to lunch. And he went outside in his vehicle for an hour and Victor would, didn't come out. And I asked him, would he just come in? And he came in and he still didn't leave, but he still wanted to get him something. So he went, got him a pizza and we uh, brought that back. And he just have called him at different times, but he won't respond. Yeah, there's something going on with that young man. I even said that earlier that if you keep asking him and keep talking to him, he will tell you. And you just gave, you just confirmed that. So I would like to know more about what's going on in his life and what's on his mind and what's causing him to act the way he acts. Because it, this, so the five steps I would recommend, I don't want to give them to you five per se, but I want to give you some high level things to look after. One, I would be more I would be interested in knowing what is it that he talked about to your friend and what is it that's caused him to have anger. We talked about two different types of anger, uh, active and then passive, right? So it sounds like he's got a lot of passive. You gotta be careful with that. Uh, the other thing is understand um why he acted out, or excuse me, why he communicated with the gentleman one day and not the other day, because there's a reason for that. Young men need consistency. And what we used to tell our group is that if you're not going to be committed to these young men from a mentoring perspective, don't come because what they don't need is you're there one week and you're out two weeks and you're there another week that will tear them apart. And we assign our men to a particular individual and they stayed the course throughout the eight to 10 weeks. That's important. They need to see that consistency. We, we all sign an agreement. So I would say that with you, that whoever it is that is in his life, he needs consistency. One broken promise, and that's it, right? He's going to assume that it's like everything else that's being lost in his life for whatever reason. He's angry. So the principle behind that is identify what it is that's causing him anger. Three, I would ask that what is it that brings him lift? What brings him joy? What does he like to do? And maybe you know what that is, Ms. Vicky, but I would definitely try to identify with that and then guide him towards that way to get him to loosen up and to get to know him more because right now he's feeling misunderstood. So that's his way of lashing back. I'll do what I want to do. I'm a conqueror. I can't conquer the world. I'm scared of the world. I can't conquer other things in life, but you know what? I'm going to conquer this circle I'm in right now. You're not going to make me get off center. I'm going to stay here and play video games. You want me to go out make me leave. That's kind of how his disposition is, right? That's typical of a young man scarred and hurt. So I would really like to, uh, and but here's, here's a word of encouragement. Once you get past those phases, then you can really get to the heart of the matter. But once you get to the heart and come up with that strategy, why is he feeling the pain? Why is he not wanting to get up? What is it that he likes to do? Um, is he feeling nagged or is he feeling you know, what, what have you, then you can come together and get put a strategy together. But we also have to work on where you are, Mrs. Vicky, because it didn't happen overnight. What happened in Austin? And when you moved here, what happened? Transitions for young men that age are tough. Because remember, the young man, you're going from teenage years to manhood, and he's moving to another metropolitan city. He's got his own little world to figure out, right? And Atlanta is much different than Austin, Texas. I've been to both. So 
I would really like to sit down with you and Dr. Leslie and talk more about him. His name is Victor, correct? Yes, yes. Okay, let's do that. Let's put some time together and do that. Mr. Wayne, this is one of the young men that I told you I spoke with. Mm -hmm. uh, that's her son. Okay. So, um, but Ms. Vicki, I think some of what you said, and like I said, we can uh, talk some more, but in terms of those mothers who are really struggling to the place where they just don't know what else to do. Your son, he has two eyes, he has two legs, he speaks well, he can read, he can write. He has everything going for him except for uh, the ability to make good decisions. And that's usually the case. In this case, as long as you are making decisions for him, because I remember part of our conversation, I remember it well, because I was really surprised. He says, I can't, I can't go out like that. I can't just be put out. I just, I, I don't, I'm not going. He, he, he knew that he could not be in his mind. I can't be put out because I have to know where I'm going. I can't just go anywhere. You see what I'm saying? So in his mind, he knew or he knows, you see what I'm saying? In his subconscious, he knows that you love him so much that you're not going to put him out. And so that's the piece, because that's the question that I had asked you before. That's the piece that has to be dealt with because he needs to be surprised. And, you know, I don't like to go to the place where I tell parents, because I, I did that one time, put him out. He got to go, you know. Uh, but that's a personal decision that mothers have to make because whatever decision you make, you have to deal with it. You have to be able to sleep at night. You have to, you know, I know mothers who they don't sleep at night once they, whether they put him out on purpose or whether he leaves, she is unrested and more health, um, health problems develop after that because she's not at rest. Her body is stressing out because she's worried about where he is. And so I understand your concern right there in terms of wondering, you know, you, you are hesitant to put him out because that's your only son and you don't know where he's going to go or, you know, even does he know enough to manage himself on the streets? You know, so those are some real concerns. But the flip side is you have to be concerned about your personal health. Your son, I always tell mothers this, your son loves himself way too much. He knows a whole lot more than you think he does. And there's a place called survival when the time comes, but he hasn't even learned how to use that muscle yet because it is being used for him. The decisions are being made for him. So he does not have to. And I see that a lot with men who are the only child, you know, and that's that chrysalis process that Mr. Wayne was talking about that is underdeveloped. You can be 30 years old and still afraid to make a decision. So now you've married a woman that you having problems with because she's making all of the, all of the decisions because you still used to your mother making them. I'm not saying that's where he is, but that tends to be the case. So Dr. that's where Ms. Vicky, we kind of have to look at all of those things. Dr. Leslie. Uh-huh. Hi, it's Rochelle. I wanted to speak to the point that both you and your husband were making, and he 
spoke to this at the beginning of his conversation when he talked about manipulation. Manipulation mm -hmm. and the look of manipulation, it changes as the kids get older. I was literally just having this conversation last weekend with a friend of mine who should be on this call. I don't know where she is, but we're going to get the recording to her, um, who is literally stressing herself out. She has two boys. The oldest son, they're three years apart, but the older one is getting a doctorate in physical therapy and the younger... The younger one, he can't manage to get his room clean. And, yeah. and she is stressed out, literally. And the thing that I said to her, and I know this because I have been in the same space and I realized I had to get here. My son's 28. He is out on his own now. But we've all heard the term tough love. We've all heard it. We've heard it. We've. We've defined it however we've chosen to define it. But what we need to realize is called tough love for a reason. It ain't just tough for them. It's tough for us. Because yeah, exactly. we now have to do the very thing that goes into direct conflict with what we've done our entire lives with these kids. We have to remove the protection. We as mothers have been responsible for and protecting these kids from the moment of conception. When we knew we were pregnant, um, our diets changed, our behaviors changed because we had to protect this baby. And we continued that process. And now we have to take our hands off and not do that. And that's, the, that's part of the tough love. It's not just tough for them, but it's tough for us. But that's also where your faith has to come into play. And that's and, when you have to stand on it hard. And Mr. Rivers, that is that is a principle of life, and it's also a biblical principle. Mm -hmm. That is how eagles teach their young how to fly. They, Push them they, out. They they give them food until they get strong enough. Then they pick them up out of the nest, fly them in the sky, and then they drop them. Right. And, and that's and that's fly. hard. That is very it's hard. hard. It's nothing hard. But it is absolutely hard. necessary. Because I can imagine, that's right. You're, you're dropping your child and they're free fall and you just think, they, oh my gosh, they're going to hit the ground. But that eagle is waiting to see if they're going to fly. And one day, then they scoop them up, one day, and guess what? One day they start flying. But okay. what would happen if that eagle never took their kid out of the nest and dropped them to help them teach them how to fly? Well, they never get to exercise the muscles of those wings, so they never learn how to fly. And one thing that you said that you know I'm, I may differ with, but I, I'm not suggesting that you are wrong. You said, we think, oh, that's my baby. And to a degree, I'm going to always look at my son as my baby. But what I did do at some point was realize he is my baby. But to the world, he's a young black man. That's so right. I had to be able to wear both of those hats. I can look at him. I, I'm, I'm, um, I have an only child. So I'm going to see that when I see him. But I got to know that the world doesn't see that. And that's what I had to tell him. The world doesn't care that you my only child. They, they don't care. They don't care that you, you know, had a privileged life, that you've been spoiled, that they do not care. They see black male. And how you take that presence into the world is far more important 
than me just recognizing that you are my baby. That may be how I feel, but what is best for my baby? And, and I will say this too, it's it's not just black males, it's just males in general. Males in general, I, true. In but all colors and creeds and Indians. Exactly. And I work with Indian young men and it doesn't matter the race, but it's the principles the same. The principles are definitely the same. same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. about becoming a man. I think uh, our young African-American men, you know, with things that we see on TV and stuff like that, you feel like you have a target. They feel like they have a target on their back. And I'm not suggesting that they don't. But the principles from boyhood to manhood remain the same across all color lines and socioeconomic classes. And we think that, you know, just the poor kids, it, it doesn't matter. If you don't go through those steps, you are ill-equipped for life as it will come hurling at you and you won't have any idea of how to handle that. And I don't care whether your parents got money or not. Money's got nothing to do with it. You're exactly right. And, and also remember, they studied you, so you need to study them. Exactly. All these things about they haven't worked and they're playing games and video games and all that but they'll hear you say that but then they'll also hear that one thing you say when you say well i don't want him to get hurt so i don't want to kick him out and they even if you hurt. don't say it they recognize your energy that says you can't do it and that's what i was telling a friend of mine they recognize you as a parent, they have learned, as you said, they've studied you and they yes. know when your no means no and your yes means yes. And when your get out means get out. They That's know right. that. And if yeah. you have been a parent and one of the things that I never wanted to do was be the parent who said something and then didn't follow through. That's right. So from early on, if I said I was going to do something, whether it was take you to Disney World or whoop your butt, I followed through because I said it, because I needed you to be clear that when I say it, that's what you can expect to have happen. So if that has not occurred, at some point, you got to draw a line in the sand and say today is the day. But it, as you mentioned, it has to do with self-love, self-respect. Because at some point, you got to ask yourself, now, how long am I going to allow you, the person I brought into the world, to disrespect me and the home that I provided? And when right. that level of frustration and when you think about the gall that some of them have to think that you just get to live here, you don't. You do not. And the fact that you think that would, would for lack of a just would have me so upset. You got to go today and here's a bag and take your stuff with you. Or as my dad told us, take what you brought when you came, which was nothing. So. Hey, I'll pay your first month's rent, but you got to get out of here. You got to get out. And, and my dad clearly said when we were kids, it was, you know, we would, my siblings and I'm the oldest of four, we would all kind of look like, okay, here we go. It was like, don't complain and stay. Complain and be on your merry way. You don't have to stay here. If my rules, you don't, you have a problem abiding by, leave. And you can, and the one thing that I did tell my son, and we recently did have this conversation, when he, when he and I would have conversations about my rules and what he thought things, how things should be and, and the differences that he would like to see me make, I said, let me tell you what I need you to do. 
I need you to get your own place and pay all your rent, your lights, your gas, your water, everything that you need to sustain your spot for a couple of years. And then let's sit down at the table and have a conversation about who gets to make the rules in the house. And, and, and don't, call me that. don't call me to ask me to help pay none of them. Uh-uh-uh, I said, pay all your stuff by yourself. <laughs> and then let's sit down at the table and talk about who gets to set the rules in the house. I said, because last I checked, every bill that comes to this house got my name on it. So I get to set the rules. It's, it's very important to study them and change up your normal method of operation mm -hmm. because they studied you for so long. Exactly. You know, another approach could be like your approach is a good one. Another approach could be, you know, that's a very good point. And it's clear that you've given some thought into what it takes to take care of yourself. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to help you find an extended stay and then we're going to go there. Don't worry, I'll pay your first few mm -hmm. weeks or months, but this is going to give you the experience that you need so that you can think through and move forward. Oh, well, no, I didn't, I didn't know you meant that, Ma. I, I don't, you don't have to do that. Oh, no, we're going to go ahead and do it. And it's okay. You don't have to be rampant or raving, screaming and shouting necessarily. Mm -mm. But once he sees you deliver on that, he understands that you're serious about it. Yeah. And make it as uncomfortable. And that's what I was telling my friend. I said, you make his life very comfortable at home. He doesn't have to worry about what he's going to eat because you're cooking dinner. He doesn't have to worry about the fact that he doesn't have gas in his car because he gets money from you to, to buy gas. We were at the Black Wall Street event uh, over at Stonecrest the other week. And she and I were vending and she said, well, let me call him and ask him to go stop and get us some breakfast so we don't have to leave. And the first thing she said was, how much are you going to charge me for going to get us some breakfast? Mm. And I'm thinking, but he lives for free, though. So yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't understand. But that's money now that he has to do some of the things that he wants to do. So he knows he's going to get money. So. The yeah. the irritant that you the irritation that you feel you kind of you're causing it you're bringing it on to yourself so That's you right. at some point have got to take a long hard look in the mirror and ask how am I contributing to this situation what ways can I stop is it going to be difficult you doggone right it's going to be very difficult but that so is me, when your faith comes in jump in there and it starts with that self look starts with you mm -hmm. if you allow the time frame to matriculate from you to adolescent to adult now you got a problem you got to go back and start with you then have the conversation with the young man but mm -hmm. if you yeah but if you've really watched those stage gates and been there and made sure he's matriculated through you'll have less problems so it just so the more problems you got later on, that means you didn't solve some stuff early on. You got to go back. Exactly. Oh. But it, I think there's always time, as, especially if they are still under your roof, to be able to right some of the wrongs. I mean, we can't take away and change the past, but we can start anew. And the things that I did wrong yesterday, I'm not going to continue doing those things wrong. I will add this to one point. These principles work and they work 
regardless if your son is over your roof or not, because there are people out there that are having these issues and their sons are full grown men living on their own. That's hard to imagine, but I, you are right. That is true. Because I oh, we you out. You are out, dude. You are out. I am no longer responsible. It would be my, which is my thought. But they're still pulling on your emotional strings because you're their mother. And they do have the ability to do that if you keep yourself, if you hold yourself hostage to that, that level of manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you got to, that's where that self-love comes in. You got to exactly. cut that cord mm -hmm. and start having those conversations with yourself and invoke those principles mm -hmm. to save you, protect you. And then it will make that person grow even stronger. He could be 40, 50 years old. It's the principles are all the same. And that, that is true because there are, you know, full grown adults that still have a way of calling their, their mom and somehow wrangling out of her whatever it is they need but you've got to own that you are part of that problem and there's no way you, you can do. escape that you cannot say this is on him and as my friend said this is you know I just need him out I need him out you want him out and, and he needs to be out but then the very thing that's causing this problem won't make him leave let, let me share this with you. Let me share this with you before we go, right? Because you're talking about a son that won't leave. Let me give you this example really quick. There also is the example of a son that is now left, mm -hmm. but he's still pulling on your emotional strings. You know why? Because he's now developed, he's still mastered the art of manipulation. Oh, yeah. But he's now developed a codependent relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And so now you are still hostage, even though he's not under your roof, there's always something you're not doing and you're gonna be considered the bad mom because you're mm -hmm. not giving him what he needs because he hasn't gone through that chrysalis and you're still in bondage and hostage to your own self and your and own And that self. is true. And I think also what makes that even more difficult is because there's a thin line there that, because, and I look back even with the life that I lived and the help that my parents offered and the things that they were willing to do, there wasn't a straight removal of their hands to say, do it yourself. But once we were, once we showed them that we were able to sustain ourselves, they still were in our corner. And we knew that we always had, our, we had a home, you know, we had yeah. parents that were there and that were in our corner. I think you've got to create the separation before you can offer any level of assistance, even when they're grown. But that separation has to occur. Sometimes people fall down and sometimes they need a leg up and a help up. But to have fallen, that means you got out there and you did it. And yes. there was some separation. But if there has never been any separation, then you haven't fallen down. You just never got up. Amen. Amen. Well, Okay, well, that was uh, <laughs> a good uh, conversation. Miss Rivers, you do speak on Thursday, so we will be interested to hear what you have to say to the ladies. But before we close, Miss Vicki, <laughs> I know we said a lot, but did any of that help you? Oh, wait a minute. Yes, it did. Okay. 
Okay. Do you have any other questions before we close? Or comments? No, I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, excellent. Thank you, everyone. Mr. Wayne, thank you. Again, if uh, as we close, if you all can go inside of the Facebook group and leave a comment on your takeaway for today, I would greatly appreciate it. As I close in prayer, you all can join us tomorrow where we have uh, Talise Jackson. She'll be talking about uh, her book that's coming out, The Boyfriend Experience, where she talks about a lot of things that were lacking in her that caused her to make the wrong decision in picking men and in the raising of her three sons. So I'm going to close in prayer, but make sure you join us on tomorrow. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, oh God, for being in our midst on today. We ask that you uh, put a special blessing over Mr. Wayne as he poured out today. We just ask that you would continue to bless him, him as he works uh, with Dr. Leslie Inspires and all the women that were on the call tonight. I just ask that you give them a special blessing. Give them what they need, oh God, whether they are dealing with guilt, whether they are dealing with frustration, whether they are worried and they just want answers, oh God. Please let Dr. Leslie Inspires this week give them an answer, oh God. Be an answer to their prayer so that they know that they can come to you for any and everything and you are their rock. So we thank you, oh God, and we will be so careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray until six o'clock tomorrow. Amen. Amen. Bye-bye. Amen. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Dr. Leslie Inspires. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Also, for more content and resources, please be sure to visit our website, www.drlesslieinspires.com. We'll see you in the next episode.